0: Brightspot Content Management System enables marketers to launch in just 100 days. It efficiently manages marketing campaigns, on mobile apps, or updates investors on your corporate site, handling it all seamlessly. With over 100 plus different content types and templates, marketers can deliver a customized, relevant experience to your audience. Additionally, integrate your current marketing automations platform, and SEO recommendations directly from your Brightspot content management system, simplifying tool management. Discover more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Marketing Trends. It's 2023. We're well into 2023. We are in the studio again and Just like the week before, we have another amazing, amazing leader in the virtual studio. I wanna tell you a little bit about Jana Yakovlevich. Uh, Jana started her career, we're going back to 2003 when she was working for a record label in Australia. And then started to, to veer in toward more digital media rather than music. And then she went to London and began this kind of digital digital media career and started to work for one of the largest social networking sites. You may have heard of it. We'll get into that later. Um, in 2009, she worked at Magnite, where she was employee number three. So she's seen a lot of growth, I mean, from startup to IPO. And in 2015, she moved to New York City to oversee the launch of programmatic solutions at Spotify. Shout out to Spotify. So Yana has a lot of deep experience. She joined Cognitive in 2018 and now is leading partnerships and leading client success there. Um, Lots of interesting things happening in your world, Yana, but thank you for being here on Marketing Trends.
1: Thank you so much for having me and a big hello to all your listeners. And uh, that was amazing work on the pronunciation of my name. I think it was the best (laughs) pronunciation I've ever heard. (laughs) <laughs>
0: nice. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, tell us a little bit about Cognitive. Like this, For those who don't know about Cognitive, tell us about the company and, and what you do there in your role.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Cognitive specializes in deep learning. So we're using deep learning to bring intelligence to advertising. And if your listeners are not familiar with deep learning, it's really sort of all of that AI that touches our lives, like Siri, Alexa, facial recognition, self-driving cars, all of that is powered by deep learning. It kind of gives computers that, uh, like, the human superpower of generalization. So if you remember when Siri came out, it kind of just happened overnight, like, all of a sudden, we could talk to our phones. And the way that happens is these models, these deep learning algorithms are trained with lots and lots of data. So we take this technology and apply it to marketing to predict consumer behavior. So we'll take people who have performed that desired action, combine it with a lot of other data sets, and then use that to try and make accurate predictions for our clients.
0: So of course you've hear all about the chat GPT, you know, hitting, hit, everyone's talking about chat GPT and it's, it's hitting, it's, hit, it's, it's literally everywhere. All my friends are talking about it and trying it. And, but I wonder like how you view that because to me, you've been in this world for a while. Do you, when, when chat GPT kind of hit the mainstream, what was your view of that? Did you feel like that tech is, was that impressive to you at all? Um, what was your kind of perspective there?
1: I mean, at first it was not all that impressive, but I would say, you know, the the latest release, I am definitely impressed. I think, you know, for so many years we heard about how AI would replace certain jobs. And I think some of them were easy to imagine. Like when they said, all right, personal assistants will be replaced with AI. That's easy to imagine, you know, but you know, when they spoke about lawyers being replaced with AI, for me that was a lot harder to imagine until I play with chat chat gbt and you know it can write a contract for you you can insert the terms and it'll spit out a contract for you like that's pretty powerful so yeah i'm i'm definitely excited has there been any kind of utility uh, our connection
0: to ChatGPT with the offering of, of cognitive? Like, is there, are you th- the team thinking about you're know, tying into that some way in, in new ways at all?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're always thinking about large language models and how that can help us understand the context someone is in or the context or sentiment of a page, absolutely. But that's just okay. really sort of, a small element
0: of what we do, okay, okay. And now before we dive deeper, i do I do want to mention this because uh, you know, just just I think under a year ago, Adweek named you one of the publication's <laughs> young influentials for highlighting innovators who change the way people think about branding. I and mean, it's a it's a who's who list, and you're on that list. So I want to just know about the accomplishment. Like talk to us yeah. about it. What, what projects or campaigns do you think really helped you like achieve that recognition?
1: Sure. Yeah, I was hoping you weren't going to bring it up. Obviously, it was a huge, huge honor. I was incredibly humbled. And of course, my background being in programmatic and ad tech isn't a very glamorous background. So not just a huge honor for me to be recognized, but for someone in the industry. I think, you know, the entry really spoke about, you know, me coming to cognitive and, you know, cognitive was the first to sort of, you know, deliver these deep learning custom algorithms for marketers. To make them really powerful, they need a lot of data. So part of my role when I started at Cognitive was to license data, but we needed to use data in a little bit of a different way. Most people will buy audience segments, they'll buy data segments, and i will target those segments. For us, we just want to license sort of data in its raw form so we can use it as an input into our model. So that was a little bit different. Um, sort of the way we apply data is different for the industry. You know, prior to that, you know, leading programmatic at Spotify. When I joined Spotify, um, you know, we were just launching programmatic. We started, you know, with display and video. But at the time, obviously, we really wanted to uh, run audio ads programmatically. So, you know, helping pioneer that, I think, you know, we ran the first audio private marketplace. You know, at the time, the OpenRTB spec didn't have uh, anything around audio, so it was like you know, how do we standardize this? And you mm. know, and prior to that, when I joined Magnite, or at the time it was called Rubicon Project, and I was employee number three, but employee number three in Europe, just, Europe, just to clarify, um, you know, when I joined there, Rubicon Project was just doing yield optimization. There was real time bidding hadn't really been invented, so when it was. We supported it. We built RTV technology. So, you know, I was out in market, you know, educating the market on what programmatic was or what real-time bidding was, you know, how it worked, you know, and why they should adopt it because there was a lot of fear around programmatic at the time. Publishers were scared that, you know, buyers would get um, access to their inventory cheaply. Uh, A lot of people thought, well, this is going to get rid of, you know, a lot of Jobs, but you know Mm. it didn't. It created a lot of jobs. In fact, it created an entire industry. And I sort of uh, view AI in a similar way. Wow. So I mean, cognitive
0: is this well-established, you know, leader in deep learning and technology. Um, Can you talk a little bit about? I think it's called Neural Mind. Yeah. um, And 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 how it improves upon industry standard marketing data acquisition, which I think is really interesting.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Neural Mind is, in, you know, it is our platform, it is our DSP. Um, and the way it works for marketers, so yes, we want to predict consumer behaviour. So, again, what is that desired action you're trying to optimise towards? If you can provide us a signal for that, and it could be quite simple, it could be a pixel on the page, but it could be offline data too. But as long as we can stitch it together and get that positive signal, we can train a model. So we take their data and there's not really much heavy lifting from the client side, apart from providing us with that first party data, those people that they, you know, they want to find more of. So we train a model, we combine it with our own proprietary data. So our contextual features, behavioral features, all of our sort of vetted third party data, we only want to sort of license deterministic Qualified data. So we combine it all together and we train a model. So before we even purchase media, we're gathering that data, training a model, and making sure we have an accurate model. And then once we're confident the model is accurate, it will actually purchase media in real time. So we run these deep learning algorithms in real time. So when we get an ad opportunity, we're evaluating a thousand different data inputs and then predicting the probability of conversion. And then we will bid and then we'll record what happens. Like, did this person take an action? Did they not? And the model uses that feedback to sort of retrain itself and to get smarter and better over time.
0: Wow. Can you give us an example of like maybe a recent win? I know you've worked with some some big brands. I saw some of the, the case study examples, but what's something like that's been really exciting in recent kind of months?
1: So I would say for us, we really sort of excel at solving complex KPIs. So, of course, we can, you know, if someone just wants to drive people to their website, absolutely, we can do that. But where we really excel is prospecting, so finding net new customers Uh, So we work with one of our clients is Adam and Eve. You know, they want to drive a low cost per order on their site, but they also want to drive a high percentage of new customers. So we're very successfully able to do that. So retargeting can be quite easy, but finding, you know, prospecting and finding those new customers is a little more difficult um, And, you know, the other area where we really excel is incrementality. So, you know, if you think about if you're a big brand and you spend a lot on television, on outdoor, people know your brand. When you run digital ads, you don't necessarily want to waste your money on the people who know your brand and would go out and buy your product. Mm. So one of the things we do is we predict not only the users who are going to convert if they see an ad, but we're also predicting the users who are going to convert regardless of whether they see an ad. And it's that group of people we don't want to show an ad to because we don't want to, you know, waste our clients' money. So we're very good at that as well.
0: Wow. That's super interesting. So, so who, like, what would you say is like the buyer, like the persona of like, who's the customer for cognitive?
1: So, yeah, I always get asked this, you know, is that, are there certain verticals where we perform really well? But honestly, again, it's like, we're really good to optimizing towards human actions. As long as we have that signal, as long as we can continue tying back those conversions and importing it into the model. We can be successful. I think you know what's important is we can't train a model off, let's say, two signals. If two people buy a product, it's very hard to see what what is the pattern in those two people. Like if you, Jeremy, buy a product and I buy a product, what's similar about us? It's okay. you know, it's hard to see a pattern. But if ten thousand people buy a product, okay. then the deep learning algorithms start to see a pattern in these people in their behaviors that we as humans may not be able to see.
0: So this is like industry agnostic, vertical agnostic. I mean, this can work really anywhere?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Wow. Has, has there been some utility in kind of the local SMB world, like the small business
1: world yet? That is a little bit more difficult. Okay. Often clients will ask us, how long will it take to train a model? And it's not really about the length of time. It's more about the number of signals, as I was saying before. So the mm. more signals, the more accurate our models can be.
0: So like, just example, like a dentist office, right? Like if they <laughs> if, if a dentist office has, you know, let's say they're serving a city and they're serving, you know, hundreds or maybe even thousands of patients, like, would that be enough signals for, you know, that to work in that kind of a market?
1: Absolutely. If they're serving hundreds and thousands of clients, then absolutely.
0: That's so interesting. Okay, cool. So in terms of the gaps that Cognitive's really trying to fill, right? It's got a bunch of products, like what... What would you think are like if there's these big buckets they're trying to fill? There's a suite of things that cognitive does, but yeah. what are what are these gaps that they really see? Okay, this is what we're solving for.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we're really trying to solve the who, what, when, where, right? And that, you know, even today, even with programmatic technology is is really difficult. And if you think about it, I mean, I feel, you know, with programmatic and real time bidding, we were kind of building the airplane while we were flying it. Mm. And as a result, the industry is a little bit disjointed. Like if you think about Mm. a marketer they have their ad server, they have their DSP, they have maybe creative, like a a separate provider that does creative optimization. They have their brand safety, their viewability, they have their third party segments that they're testing. And so they're kind of layering and layering on top and eventually they will get the balance right and they can get performance. But the problem with that is it doesn't scale. Like, Mm. you know, you can say that you know, your target demographic is females 18 to 45. But more than likely, there are people outside of that demographic that buy your product. And so how do you find them? How do you target them with an ad?
0: How does this tech build custom algorithms autonomously?
1: So full disclosure, I'm not a data science, but everything has been automated for us. So, you know, once we gather that first party data, combining that with our third party data, our proprietary data assets is all automated and the updating of the model. So once we're live, that feedback loop, that back propagation, so serving ads to people, seeing if they take an action All of that is updated uh, in real time. So people often ask us, well, how often do you, you know, you refresh the models and we're refreshing them in real time, actually. So we have a pretty small team.
0: Yeah. So so after startup, like, is there kind of a minimum effective dose of data entry for it to be truly autonomous? Like how, you know, is there like a, a threshold of like we need this much data?
1: Yeah, there isn't. It kind of depends on the KPI. I like to say, you know, once we have 10,000 signals, you know, it can just run. But it kind of depends how complex that KPI is. Okay.
0: Seems like also like this would be really powerful in the e-commerce world as well. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Right. Yeah. Um,
0: so we we hear a lot about, especially ending ending 2022, and certainly now in 2023, we're hearing a lot about real-time data. Um, do you feel marketers truly know how to access and analyze and act upon this this real-time data?
1: You know, I think they know how to. I think they haven't really been given the tools. To do so, And, you know, you will often hear, you know, marketers say, I have so much data, I don't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of why I, what I love about deep learning is you don't really have to understand the data. Uh, as long as you're giving the algorithm clean data, quality data, you don't really want to give it probabilistic data. But if it's deterministic data signals, it will decide what data is important, but it will, will do this dynamically. So it's like, What data is important at this moment in time? Um, So if you think about someone who's going to buy a product, they're not buying a product based on the demographic they fall in, or they're not buying a product based on the time of day. They're not buying a product based on what location they're in. It's usually a combination of these things. And it's deep learning that sort of can adapt and look at all of these inputs apply a weighting to it and then again, predict the probability of conversion. And it's doing this dynamically and it's learning all the time and getting more accurate.
0: So do you, do you, do you think there's there's such thing as too much data? Like it, in other words, like are, are untrained marketers subject to this analysis paralysis where they have a ton of data yeah. and no guidance on how to use it?
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And again, it's usually fragmented, disjointed. But of course, as a human, how do you analyze that data? Let's say it is all stitched together. And you can see, all right, these are the people converting. But how did they convert? You know, were they on their phone? Were they on their PC? Were they traveling? Were they at home? Uh, I just think there's too many factors for a human mind to compute that. And then of course, activating that in real time and human behaviors. changing all the time. And we saw actually during COVID for our clients, you know, whoever was the cluster of the main cluster of people performing, that really shifted, their behaviours shifted. But because our algorithms are are adapting all the time, it was able to capture those, that new audience, those new people.
0: Wow. Wow. I want to know about MySpace. Yes. I want to, I want to understand what that's like. I'm sure that's best. I'm sure that's come up at, you know, many a cocktail parties, but what was it like to work there? You know, what was your experience there? Um, yeah, I'm just curious. I know it's been a few years, but,
1: Yeah. So the beginning of my career was quite colorful. As you mentioned, I started at a record label in Australia. It was the home of Kylie Minogue, ACDC. And that was kind of, we had a department called the new media department. So I'm really showing my age now, Uh, but I became interested in the new media department. And then I moved to London. And while I was in London, I was actually working for one of the largest social networking sites, but it actually, it predated uh, MySpace. It predated Facebook. And it was actually called face party. Uh, okay. I'm not making this up. Um, and so at the time, I mean, we did over a billion impressions a month and that was back in 2005. Whoa. So we were the wow. third most visited site in the UK. It was like Google, MSN, face party. It was, wow. you know, it was quite crazy. We had this office that was a rainforest. We had a giant tree house. We had a waterfall. You know, when I talk about this it kind of sounds like I'm making it up, but thankfully if you go on the internet and Google face party office photos, the photos will come up. I would use an incognito browser. Just one tip <laughs> for you. And so <laughs> I did, you know, I spent two years at face party, had a, a wonderful time and then MySpace launched, uh, in Europe. So they were hiring. So I went to MySpace. So my experience is a little bit different because everyone was like, wow, MySpace must have been so cool to work for. But obviously after face party. You know, it was a little bit more corporate than Face Party because I joined MySpace after the the uh, Rupert Murdoch acquisition. But I had a great time at MySpace too. I was uh selling MySpace's unsold inventory to ad networks. Um, so I think that was from two thousand and seven to two thousand and nine I did that.
0: Wow. And 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 face face party, I think. Face Party was eventually bought by Yahoo, right? No,
1: no. Oh. Face, Face Party was never acquired. But FaceParty, oh. you know, it was it was one of, I think it was founded back in 1998. It was one of the first social networking sites wow. to combine photos with profile data. Okay, that's so interesting.
0: Yeah, I wasn't familiar with that, but it's, it was so huge. I'm like, and I want to go down the rabbit hole and figure out what the heck happened to FaceParty. Well, um, actually,
1: very interestingly, they owned Face, owned the trademark, of face for social networking sites. So I believe Facebook had to acquire it from Facebook. Oh,
0: that's an interesting story. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's um, so, so cool. So, so where did the, I guess for you, like where did the love affair with like tech and AI start? Like, what, what was your experience in the moment of like, you must have seen something or interacted with something and you like, it got your full attention. What was that moment like?
1: Um, I mean, certainly you know, I was, I, I enjoy working for companies that combine sort of music with tech. I mean, after MySpace, you know, unfortunately, so, you know, while I was at Face Party, MySpace started stealing users from Face Party and then I went to MySpace and Facebook started, you know, taking users from MySpace and then Facebook launched in Europe and I was like, no, enough is enough. Like, there's no longevity in social networking sites, which was a huge mistake (laughs) in hindsight but hindsight's a wonderful thing but you know the GM at MySpace he went to Rubicon Project I actually you know knew nothing about Rubicon Project I was in London I needed a visa I'm like I need a company to sponsor me can you sponsor me He was like yes I need someone to sell to the ad network so it was just you know a logical fit and I think from there it's I really love working at startups, you know, building something from the ground up, you know, honestly, it wasn't a conscious decision for me to move solely into ad tech. It just happened. And I really enjoyed it. And I worked with some really great people. And those contacts and connections I still have today, you know, uh, Jeremy Fain, our CEO at Cognitive, he used to work at Magnite. And that's how we know each other.
0: We know AI is is not it's not a new technology, right? It's it's certainly changing and evolving. We talked about Chad Chad GPT. It's certainly a lot more accessible and mainstream. And I think it's going to move even quicker. Yeah. Um, Are there any more kind of like wins that you have been excited about longer term success stories from your customers, just things that you're that are really kind of fueling the evolution of this that you can share?
1: I mean, yeah, and it goes back to solving those complex problems. Like I said, the prospecting, the finding the net new customers, Mm -hmm. finding incremental customers, not wasting your dollars on, you know, targeting people who would have converted anyway. Um, it's also, you know, finding high value customers. It's like, yeah, I don't want to just target the people who are going to churn and burn, find me, you know, the loyal customers, you know, I, I think, you know, what we do really takes a lot of the headache out of, you know, ad tech and, you know, you want people to focus their time, you know, especially in marketing on that creative side, you don't really want people having to do repetitive tasks every every single day, you know. I think if AI can do that and it can do it more efficiently, you know, why not?
0: With such this the kind of high end, ever evolving technology like AI and machine learning, it likely takes like a special type of marketing team. What what in your experience, like what kind of unique skill sets and personality traits are you looking for in a team?
1: Yeah. So obviously, yeah, we're not really hiring marketing people and saying, hey, you need deep learning experience. You need to talk about artificial neural networks. So, you know, I think it's similar with any Company, you want people who are passionate, people who want to learn, people who are really good storytellers. You know, what we do, you know, the AI, the science can be quite serious. So we keep our, you know, our marketing tactics and initiatives really fun. And, you know, the same way we're using AI to connect marketers with their customers, we kind of do the same with our marketing team and we want to, we want to use it to connect. So we keep things quite fun and light, like, Uh, For example, the Can Lions last year, we had an app which was rosé, not rosé, which I don't know if you've seen Silicon Valley, but when they mm-hmm. come up with the mm-hmm. app, that's hot dog, not hot dog. Ah, and, okay. you know, okay. it, well, you know, uh, the investors were really excited because they thought, oh, it, you take a photo of food and it tells you what food it is. But it was like, no, it just tells you if it's a hot dog or not a hot dog. So we used that so people could take a photo of their drink and it would tell that's you smart. if is it is it rosé or not rosé. So that used deep learning. So that's a fun way for people to connect with deep learning. And also, you know, if we sponsor events, depending on what city it is. We'll do goodie bags, you know, that are themed, that will take, you know, whatever the sort of local speciality is. Maybe it's a hot sauce or something, you know, something in there, you know, because generally you don't have time to explore the city. And um, so we keep it fun. We keep it light.
0: Wow. Uh, well, obviously we look around, especially in tech, the world is changing, right? I mean, we're, we're heading into this really interesting time where, I think brands of kind of all shapes and sizes are having to like do more with less and figure out how to, you know, navigate these scenarios. I saw today Google Alphabet had a big layoff. I mean, Salesforce has had, there's a lot of big layoffs that have happened and and possibly even more coming. As you kind of look out across, you know, the industries that you serve and support, you're seeing the world change quite rapidly. You're seeing this technology that's really helpful and you're seeing a lot of companies having to make a lot of moves. Like, what's your perspective there as these companies are, are trying to do more with less, and trying to continue to grow and serve their customers, and 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 having to do it in a much different way? Are y'all positioned? Even more now because the way things are going, or you feel like you're having to fight for more market share because things are shifting so interestingly.
1: Yeah, and you know, for all those people who are being laid off, I really, you know, do hope they find work. I mean, here at Cognitive, we are hiring, so I guess that's a good (laughs) that is a good sign. A lot of, especially brands and marketers, it's fine to write. It's it's hard to find the talent, and you know, and you don't have unlimited resources, so. Uh, again, you know, I think, you know, when you hear sort of that hands-on keyboard, you know, if you remember back in the day where there were sort of some bad players taking really huge margins in the industry, not providing value. So brands and agencies are like, hey, we have to take this in-house. We need to build teams. But that's not always scalable. And I think that's what we're seeing now. And a lot of people just, you know, have Too much to do to do everything 100% effectively. Hmm. Um, So, you know, I do think AI companies are are well positioned. Mm -hmm. Also, you know, they're again going back to, you know, I was saying, you know, you don't really want to do a repetitive task every single day. You know, if a job isn't enjoyable and it can be done, but you know, with AI, let people, you know, go back to being creative, follow their passions. Uh, And again, you know, AI doesn't get You know, it's, it's, you know, it's not prone to human error. It's working 24 seven. So, Mm you know, if you can let it purchase your media, and you know, it's doing it more effectively, uh, and at much greater scale than you could, um, you know, I think that should be very exciting.
0: Well, you've already gone through an IPO. Um, and I'm curious if that's, is that kind of where Cognitive said it? Is that where we're going here or we can't share extra strategies?
1: <laughs> I can't share. We're a private <laughs> company. Okay. But, you know, our answer is I don't know. You know, our focus is definitely, we, we want to continue to grow. You know, we're uh-huh. hiring lots of people. We want to continue expanding our client base. We want to, you know, keep arming people with data. So yes, we do dope learning algorithms, but that doesn't mean it's black box. Um, So Mm. we're very transparent in everything we do. All of our clients will get access to an intelligence dashboard, which shows them here are the people who are converting. This is how they converted. It's updated all the time so they can see shifts week over week. So they can use that in their other marketing tactics. You know, I oversee Mm. the client success team. We're very big on service. You know, we provide weekly reporting, monthly reporting, quarterly business reviews, but we're very transparent in, hey, this is what we tested. Here are the models that we tested. Here are what the models are valuing as important, you know, whether it's demographic or whether it's more the context of the page or, you know, these are new, you know, the new customers we drove for you. This is where we found them. So we can really deliver sort of unlimited insights. It just, you know, depends on the client's appetite. Some love to get into the data. Some are like, no, just hit my KPI. You're all good.
0: What does having this technology do for, you know, cognitive's relationship with growth, right? Because to me, you can use the same technology as your own dog food, eating your own dog food to go generate more interest and get more customers and get more leads. Is it, is it that to that level where you can turn it up and down and kind of dial up growth and you know what I mean like is that is that where we're headed? Because to me, if anybody's good at using the tech, it's going to be your actual business. But how, what does that look like from the inside perspective?
1: Yeah, I would say B two B is a lot more difficult because indeed, you know you, if you think about uh, decision makers, you know what is their online behavior and is it any different to someone who's not a decision maker? I'm pretty sure like online that I look like a 15 year old sometimes like you know at night I am on TikTok like for way too many hours than I care to admit so you know so no we're not (laughs) we're not locating our clients via AI it's very much through you know through our sales team the traditional way uh, through building those relationships maybe one day
0: yeah. I don't think we're far off from, from that. I really don't. Um, so you, I do want to touch on your going IPO experience because you know, that's rare, right? To be an early early stage employee and be a part of growth all the way to IPO. Tell us that story. I mean, what you learned during that experience? I mean, again, <laughs> usually the people that start a business are not always the same people that are there after an acquisition or after an IPO. So to be part of that core crew, to go all the way through the levels of growth, Talk us about tell us about that because that sounds like a really interesting time and a roller coaster ride potentially.
1: It's definitely a roller coaster ride. It was funny because when I took the job at Magnite or Rubicon Project as it was known, uh, my manager was like, "Yeah, this company it's going to be sold in a year." I was like, "Wow, that's exciting!" And um, I was there for seven years from when I started to to the IPO. But honestly, like, what a journey. I made so many friends there as well. Uh, it was, you know, at the beginning, we're in this tiny office. It was a lot of late nights. And, you know, what we were doing, It, you know, it was like we're doing yield optimization. These publishers who are working with two net ad networks, but they're not really optimizing and they're not working with multiple ad networks. So in Europe, these ad networks had very close relationships with the publishers, So we came in and as an American company and we were like, hey, buy the traffic from us. And we said to the publisher, work with us. We'll bring you more revenue. We'll bring you more ad networks. And a lot of the ad networks are like, well, no, you know, we're absolutely not going to work with you. And unfortunately, a lot of those big ad ad networks don't exist now. But the ad networks who were like, and especially when we started building RTB technology, it was like, all right, you know, we can't resist this because one, the publishers want it to these partners are delivering publishers, lots of data insights, more revenue. We need to buy from these SSPs. But the ones who saw like, you know, who were interested in that at the time was called real-time bidding technology, they adapted really quickly and they built their own DSPs. So those ad networks went on to be um, very successful. But, you know, it, you know, being early stage startup is a lot of work. And like I said, it was a lot of late yeah. nights. It was a lot of traveling. It was a lot of being on the road. And it was a lot of sort of, you know, trying to convince these partners who thought, you know, you were going to maybe like eat into their business or illuminate them on, you know, why, you know, why you should work with us. so. Um, And then, you know, eventually, you know, publishers became to trust us more and more. They were making more money. They're like, hey, actually, this is actually a very efficient way to buy and sell media, and especially in Europe where the markets are smaller, the budgets are smaller, Mm -hmm. but it still takes as many hands to service that I.O. and to run that campaign manually. Um, So it was really like a a no-brainer. So it was super nice to see sort of this industry that was a little bit wary of us. To being really sort of collaborative partners with us. And like, for example, the trade desk, look how huge the trade desk is. I remember integrating the trade desk uh, into Magnite. Uh, you know, that was small, unknown company. Wow. So, uh, Yeah.
0: What a moment in time. Yeah, it's cool to be a part of that experience. I mean, I think it's so formative to be, to, to any, anytime someone can go from, you know, early stage to IPO or to some sort of acquisition, just the, it's like invaluable, the things that I think that you learn as a contributor to them becoming a leader. Um, so now, you know, where you sit and what you're, you know, doing now, what do you feel like you're cultivating as a leader now? Like, what are you really working on? You've done a lot of things. You have a lot of perspective a lot of deep experience, but like now as you kind of look out and where you're where you're at and where you're headed, yeah. what are you yeah what are you cultivating now?
1: Yeah. So I say like last year, you know, my focus was the client success team, uh, you know, which was only sort of existed within cognitive for a couple of years. And really, you know, we're very good at the tech. You know, our our custom algorithms perform really well, but we don't want to just do that. We really want to also differentiate with our service. So building out a team that works closely with our sales team, that works closely with the data science team, uh, and can provide this insight and intelligence and service to our customers has been really important. So this year, continue expanding that that team. Um, for me, you know, we started, and this is kind of interesting, when we started the company, our vision was never to be the pipes. We just wanted to give people their own custom AI, this custom brain. But very quickly in the beginning, we realized uh, the industry didn't have the infrastructure to support these deep learning algorithms. Hmm. So we built our own DSP. Last year, we actually started integrating with a couple of SSPs, Xander and Pubmatic, who can make our custom algorithms available in other DSPs via a deal ID. So Mm. if you're a marketer and you want to try deep learning, but, you know, you don't have the bandwidth to test another DSP or maybe the client wants to keep everything in, in one place, that's okay. We can send you a deal ID. All you need to do is target that deal ID. Don't add any sort of audience targeting on top of it and you can test our technology that way and we can still deliver all the same insights for you. Um, So, you know, I would love to see this year us integrated into more platforms so, you know, people can test the technology without it being a huge sort of overhaul on their side. Wow. Awesome. And I think we're going to focus a lot this year on probably contextual as well.
0: Okay. Okay. So, Yana, what would you like to see in the next five years? Take us into the future. What do you see happening in this really interesting space that you're serving for marketers?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Apart from the obvious for everyone to work with cognitive. No, but what, (laughs) you know, what I would like to see from marketers, uh, it's a few things. So one is the attribution methodology that they use. So many marketers today are still using last touch, but with the cookie going away they really need to move away from that so it's one looking at a multi touch attribution platform two it's like all right the cookieless future is coming you know looking at other sort of id solutions you know so often we get asked hey do you have a cookieless solution it's like yes yes we do we can run uh, safari traffic for you we can get our id on a portion of safari traffic we can serve these people with an ad and we can see if they convert But, you know, we have to explain to them, you're using DCM to report on your performance. That data is not going to be within DCM because that is cookie-based. So, you know, again, for marketers, move away from last touch, move away from, you know, having everything live within DCM, especially if you want to, you know, test new technologies. Three, I kind of really hope that over-reliance on Meta and Google goes away a little bit for marketers. Um, cause really, you know, you're handing over all of your data to them. They're using that data to fuel their algorithms for your competitors. Uh, and you just don't want to be over reliant on them, I would say. Finally, you know, looking at contextual as well, but, you know, we have chat GPT. Obviously, the techno technology has improved, uh, immensely, you know, moving away from just targeting keywords, um, you know, just because a article might say restaurant three times, that doesn't really give you the, you know, I can't tell you what that article is about. So, you know, adapting to more advanced sort of contextual technologies that are considering all the words on the page, the order of the words, and, you know, understanding that sentiment.
0: Mm, Good. Awesome. Wisdom and insight from Yana. Pay attention, marketers. Um, (laughs) Let's get into some fun questions. Are you ready for the lightning round? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. So lightning round, try to be quick, you know, with your answers if you can, and let's have some fun. First question, American or Aussie rules football?
1: <laughs> I love that, you know, Aussie rules football. So I'd obviously have to say AFL. Okay. Uh, and if your listeners have no idea what AFL is, I would suggest five minutes. Check on, it out. Yeah, yeah, Five minutes on YouTube. It's a, it's it, a little it's bit worth
0: bonkers. It. It's worth it. It's worth, it's worth a child. <laughs> um, what's the best city in the world for foodies?
1: I would have to say Melbourne and not because I'm from Melbourne. I have lived in a lot of different cities and countries, but honestly, the food there I'm always surprised when I go back every year at the quality and the standard, there is a huge amount of European and Asian influence. And, you know, I live in New York. Obviously, you can get great food in New York, Mm -hmm. but with these larger cities, usually you need to know where to go. And I feel like in Melbourne, you can't lose anywhere you go. The food is amazing. It's fresh. It's delicious.
0: Okay. Here's a doozy. Tom from MySpace or Mark from Facebook?
1: (laughs) Tom, Tom all the way. I mean, you know, Tom taught us all basic HTML. He sold MySpace and he was like, peace out. I'm going to go be a photographer. You know, I don't need world domination. Love Tom. Actually, my sure. claim to fame, this is a bit sad, but when I was at MySpace, I was friends with the real Tom. You know how everyone got the default yes, Tom? Of I of course. At the, re- the real Tom, that was my claim to fame. That's about as good as it gets with me. Oh,
0: that's fantastic. <laughs> um, what's your least favorite like business buzzword or marketing buzzword?
1: <sighs> frenemy, because uh, I came across it so often when I was at Magnite again, because the networks are like, oh, you're a frenemy. We kind of have to work with you. Uh, so, Okay, okay.
0: <laughs> If you could use marketing to send a message to the entire world, what would that message say?
1: Honestly, I would have it say eliminate uh, single-use plastic.
0: <laughs> yes, okay.
1: <laughs> That's the only yeah. thing that keeps
0: me up at night. That's awesome. What is uh what's currently uh, in your Spotify playlist? Who are you listening to these days?
1: Oh, it runs the gamut, really. Uh, in excess, obviously, I need to have some Aussie music in there. I'm a big Prince fan. I mean, there's some Beyonce, there's some Anderson Park. Nice. Um, I dance salsa badly, so but there's a lot of salsa music in my playlist as well.
0: Okay. What is one popular activity that you wish you enjoyed more?
1: Uh, that would have to be running. I hate running. It's the worst. I could walk I'm with for you. days, I'm with you. I I'm can't with even you. run one block in Manhattan. <laughs>
0: Uh, what, what would be the title of your unauthorized biography?
1: Spare. No way that's taken. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I would probably call it blunt because I'm very blunt and to the point at times. Um, yes.
0: Blunt. What is the best business advice you've ever received?
1: It would be don't rent out your time, either own something or own a piece of something.
0: Well said. If you were to devote the rest of your life to philanthropy, what cause would you choose?
1: When I started in ad tech, it was a very male-dominated industry, so I'm quite passionate about you know getting women into more male-dominated industries. I'd probably start with the industry I know, like ad tech, and then expand it from there.
0: Great. Okay. Last question: What items are on your bucket list?
1: Well, I'm trying to learn Spanish. I've been taking classes for over a year and that is moving very, very slowly (laughs) uh, in a sort of business related way. You know, one day I'd love to start my own company, but then sell that company. That'd be very nice. But, you know, I've been very fortunate. I've, you know, lived in a lot of different countries. I've had a lot of different, you know, worked for some great companies. Um, Career wise, I feel like, you know, I'm fairly content.
0: Awesome. Well, great. Thank you so much for being a part of Marketing Trends, Yana. Great conversation. Lots of interesting twists and turns where we're headed with AI and deep learning. So excited to see where Cognitive is headed. Congrats to you and, and the whole team. And thanks for being on Marketing Trends again.
1: Thank you so much. And thanks for having me. You have eight seconds
0: to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic.